everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk movies, among other things. Uh, I am Dave. I'm Connor. <laughs> Tori. This is Christine here. And Sam. It's been a little while. Get to know everybody once yeah. again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In case you forgot. Yeah. We're also not friends. I don't know why we keep saying that. <laughs> Hashtag friends. <laughs> I know. Just in case you were suspicious, we are friends. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you guys know, the previous month, uh, we just wrapped up uh, a pretty deep dive into superhero films. Uh, the ones that mean a lot to us, uh, the ones that have confused us, uh, <laughs> all of them, all of them, gems and all of them, a lot of fun. Yep. Um, but we're kind of shifting direction. Uh, we're doing something special uh, for the end of this month. Uh, the end of this month, uh, specifically May 25th, uh, is the 40th anniversary of the 1979 Ridley Scott sci-fi horror film Alien. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, I've actually decided this is my official number two over Fargo. Um, wow. so yeah, Fargo it's been, bumped. it's been an interesting journey. Uh, and we're going to dive into all that before we do. Um, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Got real hot today. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly. Yeah. yeah. Reached a high of 80. Ugh. And, uh, Ew, did out. it? Ew. Yeah. Oh, gross. Nobody right. needs I'm not that. ready for it. No. Haven't... So if you're listening, high of 80. however long ago that was yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) well great so i suppose we're just going to dive right in um and really just kind of get rolling um with this week's episode again we're talking about alien um it's a movie i've seen at at least 20 times all the way through if not more Uh, i probably i probably spent a day of my life watching this movie um (laughs) all together um and there's a there's a lot to cover therein, but before we uh, we kind of dive in, what are general impressions? Uh, what was everyone's uh, experience with the movie? Sam, I believe this was your first time seeing it. It was. Um, I really appreciated the buildup, and then also because I'm you know almost thirty years old and seeing this movie for the first time, I was like, wow! So this movie did this thing like Alien, and this movie did this thing. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, interesting. Yeah. So a lot of callbacks. Yeah, very influential, really mm-hmm. impactful. Uh, anybody else? This is my second time seeing it. First time I saw it, though, was like at a high school party. So it was like not the best environment sure. to watch this movie in. So I watched it like by myself alone. Um, super spooky. Like Sam said, great world design. I love that like 70s future tech. Um, I feel like this movie does it better than any other. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, I have seen it a lot. I, I really love this movie also. Um but I watched it today um, while in a lot of back pain on my bed with a hot pack on. So Speaking I was of like being almost slightly distracted, <laughs> but like um, I had fun like picking up on some stuff that I um, didn't notice like in previous watches. And then I was also just like very into like all of the practical effects in this movie. So I also like looked a little bit more into like how they did some of those, which I'm sure Dave, you have like some stuff to talk about with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cool. Yeah, that, I had that experience too. You know, again, mm. I've seen this movie countless times, uh, over twenty, um, and I just saw something new. I see something new every time, but I yeah. just saw something really uh, that really struck me this mm-hmm. time. Um, and we'll get to it. It's uh, the scene where Brad is walking through looking for Jones the mm-hmm. cat, and um, we see him kind of stare up at those like chains and the sort is of that falling in, uh, water. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And as he's looking up, this is something I never noticed until I watched like an HD. Uh, video that I found mm-hmm. online of that scene. 
the xenomorph is swinging among the chains. Oh, interesting. Oh, I don't know if I noticed that either. I never noticed it. It looks so convincingly like a piece mm. of machinery that it just like kind of falls into like everything else. But like Whoa. when I saw it in HD, it's like, oh shit, it's totally clearly there. Like way before it starts to descend. Oh, that's really cool. It's really wild. Yeah. It sort of makes it like, what was that water? What was the dripping water? I like at first thought it was like saliva from the thing. The, what is it? The Nostromo makes use of a lot of uh, water. Uh, in its in its thruster engines, which uh, I'll I'll tell you. About okay, it. I mean okay, I think Ridley Scott loves loves rain because in that same scene when Harry Dean Stanton's character looks up and it's like raining within the ship or like there's water coming yeah. down from the ship, I was like, oh my god, this is so much like. Um, the end of Blade Runner yep. when Roy yeah. Batty looks up and he's like, memories get lost in tears and whatever. <laughs> and, and, like, and so I had seen Alien probably like one and a half times. This is like a movie that's like on TV and you're like, I was like, would be sitting with like my family or something. Or, oh, it's on. Let's finish watching it. But definitely sitting down and watching it with the purpose of talking about it. There's so many things that I like loved um, discovering about the movie. And also because Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies, thinking about Ridley Scott. I mean, this was like, he had, I think he had made one film before this, this weird duel movie. And then this, yeah, was, the Bla- this was Alien. Yeah. And then later he would do Blade Runner. And I loved building the connections between like similar scenes and, and visuals that, um, that are so iconic about Blade Runner, seeing him play with those different types of, um, techniques mm. in Alien, um, so it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch. Again, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, for me, Alien. Um, I think we've discussed this before in the pod. Has sort of always been a part of my uh, my childhood memory, <laughs> given that. Um, and I, I talked to my dad in preparation for this episode. I've been working <laughs> on this since like February. Um, <laughs> And uh, mentioned to him that uh, the first memory I have of seeing Alien was him putting on a movie like one Sunday afternoon when I was like seven or eight years old and just kind of letting it run. And he had to go do something. He was like painting something or maybe like mowing the lawn. And then about an hour and a half later, he comes back and I'm like white as a sheet shivering. And he, uh, he just asked, oh, what do you think? And I was just turned to him and asked, what was that? <laughs> and his very calm and very satisfied response was, oh, that's Alien. Hope you liked it. And then like went about the rest of his day. <laughs> wow. So this is really dedicated to your dad, this Aww. whole thing. Yeah, in a yeah. way. Mm-hmm. This one uh, this one takes me back and uh, is responsible for my like complete desensitization to horror movies in general. So, <laughs> Yeah, our so formative thanks, years, that. those movies that really stick out. You're like, I should not have seen this at this age, but did. Yeah, we all have that traumatizing uh, movie. Who I am. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, this is that movie for me. Um, I suppose I'm going to provide a really quick summary of the plot. And um, then we'll we'll jump into it a little bit. Uh, we're going to be discussing characters. We're going to be discussing the production, um, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll just kind of wrap up with some of our favorite scenes, if that sounds good. Um, so a very quick plot rundown that I prepared goes as follows: um, the crew of the USCSS Nostromo, an interstellar towing vessel, are awoken from cryostasis when they intercept a mysterious radio transmission from a nearby planetoid, LV four twenty six. Uh, Upon landing to investigate the source of the transmission, they uncover a downed alien ship littered with alien eggs, one of which opens and exposes crew member Kane to an alien life form that attaches itself to his face. Mm. Brought back on board despite protests, they discover the alien creature to have a kind of molecular acid for blood, making it impossible to kill uh, or remove from Kane. 
When it detaches and dies on its own, all appears normal until a second alien life form incubated within Kane bursts out of his chest, killing him and then darting off into the bowels of the ship. The remaining crew, including our at first unsung hero Ripley, uh, are then tasked with hunting it down and removing the alien beast without the ability to kill it. One by one, the crew is picked off, leaving Ripley to set a self-destruct sequence on the ship before fleeing to the escape shuttle. She then encounters the alien nestled within the shuttle, but ejects it out into the vacuum of space before settling into cryostasis to await rescue. Mm. Well, that in essence is alien. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of scenes that are really great therein. A lot of things we're going to discuss real quick before we move on to that, though, I have some notes about the plot. The film was written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shushit. Um, sci-fi collaborators who actually went on Connor to create Total Recall. So a little bit of crossover for you there. Um, The android character of Ash was a later addition to the script credited to Ridley Scott. Um, The character's names when the plot was written were genderless to allow any actor to embody any role. Hmm. Um, It was actually conceptual artist Ron Cobb, who came up with the idea that the aliens should bleed acid. This idea came about when Dan O'Bannon, the writer of the script or co-writer, couldn't find any reasonable explanation for why the Nostromo crew wouldn't just shoot the alien. Have you seen, I found on YouTube this like making of alien. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's the really good. with that guy. He's like, I don't know when the He's a piece was of work. T- uh, taped, but this like this silver haired guy with a little bow tie it's clearly has like some resentment about like oh, the yeah. whole process of like he had a screenplay that he had co-written. It's called pres- Star Beast was oh, the name yeah. of the movie at first. Oh, mm. like the interview definitely is like him telling about the origins of the story, but also being like, they took my story and did some crazy shit with it. And <laughs> you took my story. Basically, yeah, he, yeah, he's sort of this diminutive guy, but he's like you'd never want to cross his path mm. and take his story because. He's going to fucking... Wow. He seems like a real piece of work. Also, the guy who did... Uh, and I'm forgetting the name right now, which I feel bad about, but uh, he did a lot of really famous scores for things. Um, the guy who did the music for the movie was really dissatisfied in the end because they wound up um, using temp tracks from uh, soundtrack recordings for another film that he scored called Freud and interjected those into the movie and kept them for the final cut. So he was really unhappy about that. Mm-hmm. But the score ends up sounding great. It's I was going to say that was another thing I noticed a lot this time watching it. Yeah. The score is very good. It's just interesting. At least that behind the scenes was so interesting to see how a story evolves and like to see who takes credit for things or gets credit for different pivotal changes. I mean, if you didn't have the character of Ash, like it would have been a totally different (laughs) movie. movie. Um, But yeah, it was just interesting to hear him like talk about his inspirations and then be like, and then I gave it over and then they changed it. Yeah, and his little bit about uh, his anxiety surrounding going to see the movie. He, like, basically wrote it off and was, like, a total loss. He was just like, I'm not even going to see it. This is ridiculous, blah, blah, Mm. blah. Uh, And then when the movie came out, um, it actually had very, very poor uh, sound quality during its initial screening. And people were like, what the hell's up with this? Um, But then when they released it with a proper uh, sound, proper score, and the proper cinematic experience... Uh, it had a huge impact on people, and he went down to go check out one of those screenings, or was driving by, I believe, uh, and spotted that there was, like, a huge line, like, down the block. So he, like, reluctantly went and checked it out, and in the end was like, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it is. Um, one little last note here on the plot before moving on to characters is that... Uh, 
During early development, uh, O'Bannon and Shushet ran into a writing Im- impasse while trying to work out how the alien would get aboard the ship. Shushet came up with the idea that the, quote, alien fucks one of them, <laughs> end quote, uh, which was eventually developed into the facehugger concept, thankfully. Um, this mm. method of reproduction via implantation was deliberately intended to invoke images of male rape and impregnation. Um, so both writers were adamant that the facehugger victim be a man. Firstly, because they wanted to avoid the horror cliche of women being depicted as an easy first target. Mm. Secondly, because they felt making it a female uh, casualty would be uh, too symbolic of rape. And thirdly, uh, to make male viewers feel more uncomfortable with the reversal of genre conventions. Whoa, that's very interesting. You yeah. know, I could I was picking up what they were putting down because at the very end, like the last three people are two women and a black man. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, fuck yeah, alien. Like, mm-hmm. you get it. You you break those stereotypes. I appreciated that and they a lot. Just, so like, I'm not killed, surprised. Killed John Hurtoff, like pretty fucking Goodbye. Fast, you Goodbye. Know? He has Wait, like so few lines. When in that his movie. body is just floating out in space, I ha- I laughed out loud. <laughs> oh, Dude, oh, when they, oh, shoot, they yeah. just shoot him out. a white little package yeah. that's just sent yeah. out kept, a little parcel. I kept noticing when the the, the fucking thing like jumps out of his chest and he's mm. uh, still twitching. Oh, so I like kept that looking at that never this time. Left my brain, yeah. Oh my god, it's so so crazy it's looking ghastly. and really horrifying. Yeah, yeah, that really revs things up. Mm-hmm. Was John Hurt a big name before Alien? Not really. He was like a little bit more like known for like he and Ian Holm were pretty established, but were known mostly for like British mm. film and television yeah. and things. Um, so this was John Hurt's uh, first, uh, I believe, first American film. And this was like uh, Sigourney Weaver's first movie. She, and I think that's right. Yeah. Well, Lisa, if I can trust YouTube and this documentary, <laughs> they were saying that there was um, concern about casting Sigourney Weaver. Uh, like, apparently, this was her first movie mm-hmm. and that there was question of whether, like, she could handle, the like, a leading role like this and... It ends up working interesting, like interestingly, in the dynamic of the characters, where there's this always this questioning of her, um, her like problem solving and like mm. her authority Constantly. and her, always, right, right. always, always. But yeah. apparently, that there was some aspects of that dynamic behind the scenes, mm. which is crazy because her performance is unbelievable mm-hmm. in oh, that yeah. movie. There was, there was a, I was looking up some of the trivia um, and it says uh, Ridley Scott told um, Yafet Koda, his, his name? Oh, Yafet Koda, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they told him to like, spe- like specifically annoy Sigourney Weaver so it felt like there was more tension like on the set than there was. <laughs> yeah, specifically to antagonize her as well as, um, and I'm gonna, um, apologies in advance, I'm not gonna pronounce his name correctly. Um, Balaji Badejo, um, who uh, was the uh, man who played the alien. Mm. Um, Did, like, the sounds? And s- no, he, no, he played he the like physical literal- creature. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a man um, in a rubber suit. Wow. Yeah, they, he wanted, Ridley Scott wanted animatronics or something, right? He did initially, they, like, yeah. Yeah. But they just couldn't make it, they couldn't reasonably make it work within mm. the confines of the story and everything. So he was actually met by a casting director who um, who ran into him at, like, a bar. Um, I have, the, yeah, I have some of the notes on that here. Um he was uh, seven feet, one inch tall with very long arms, oh, God. Uh, which is just what they needed to make the alien look less, hum- less human and more insect-like. Um, he was also sent for Tai Chi and mime classes to learn how to slow down oh. his movements, and a special swing had to be constructed for him on set Whoa. to sit on during the filming since he couldn't sit in a regular chair suited up because of the tail. 
Wow. God, I would love to find a picture of him trying to sit in a I chair. Know. Oh my God. There are pictures of him on the swing that you can find online. They're really oh, that's great. so funny. Um, but yeah, I suppose, uh, and I suppose with that, this is probably good, as good a time as any to move into characters um, and take a quick look at like the different, uh, different roles, the different archetypes they embody, and uh, the actors who brought them to life. Um, so we begin in that sense with uh, Dallas. Uh, he is the Nostromo's captain. Uh, he's decisive, yet occasionally wavering, largely interested in ease of operations in the mission. Um, he got top billing in this picture, even though he is not the lead, mm. um, because at the time he was the most experienced and similar to like Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho, they kind of wanted to throw you off the scent of where the film was going and who would be the last person standing. Interesting. Hmm. So they paid someone more for, <laughs> to throw people off? I guess so. That's so weird. <laughs> it sounds like real life, though. That, that really does. Oh, yeah. my God. And it kind of suits the film, too. I mean, he's yeah. sort of the de facto captain, but Ripley has all these better ideas and more adherence to procedure and is overridden. Yeah, because he's, at one point, yeah. when she's just like, hi, like, why why did you guys make this decision? He's just like, it's, like, it's the science department. They can do whatever they want. And she's like, what the, f like, you don't even care right, about, like, like, this? This impacts uh -huh. every single one yeah. of us. Yeah. Yeah. Or even right before they take off from the planetoid uh, mm -hmm. LV-4. 26 uh, when they're retracting the landing gear and Sigourney's like or Ripley is like mm -hmm. you know you're, you're doing this wrong or such and such he's just like look I don't care I just want to get the hell out of here yeah um which is so, a f yeah. it's a feeling that every woman can relate to where there's being the leader when you're not the leader uh -huh. and it's real pronounced in this movie it yeah. is mm -hmm. yeah which is really great um and he actually wasn't going to be attached to the project he was uh given the the screenplay and given um it was pretty much offered top billing off, off the spot by a casting director, but he turned it down for a while because um, he just didn't feel like it had enough momentum. But then when he started seeing some of the like art production designs and things like that and how it was kind of taking shape and coming to life, he was really excited to work on it. I thought I heard Harrison Ford was considered for that role. He was, also. yeah. We almost yeah. got Harrison Ford for that mm -hmm. movie, too. Which is kind of crazy. Which, like, I, I'm sure he would have been fine. But uh, I think Tom Skerritt really brings um, yeah. this really kind of, like, detached... Um, he's a little older too which probably yeah. like adds some like authority I guess um, yeah like he's kind of yeah. like seasoned and. but I did see just a quick sidebar I saw the conversation um, last night I watched that which there's a young Harrison Ford in that movie and he plays like an evil person which I've never really seen him do evil and it's kind of great is that that one with Gene Hackman yeah yeah that movie's really good it is really good yeah yeah but, uh, yeah, I, I just, like, now I'm like, oh, Harrison Ford in, like, other roles, like, thinking about that is interesting. He's kind of well, yeah. evil in What Lies Beneath, right? I haven't oh. seen that. Well, that yeah, movie's yeah. really good. I was good. like, yes, I recall. That's a bit of a spoiler, but, yeah, he is, mm -hmm. he is oh, pretty that's evil. Definitely, that was like, there's a movie where he's a bad guy, but I'm not going to tell you what it is in case you haven't seen it. So now I know oh, what oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Garrett. But well, it's also been out for a very long time, so, so no also, like, like, fuck me for <laughs> not seeing it. Um... So moving on, that brings us to Kane. Uh, he's the executive officer and second to command um, that he played by uh, John Hurt. Um, he's inquisitive and adaptive up until incapacitated by the alien and ultimately becomes its first victim. Inquisitive. You say that as if it's a positive attribute when really he goes up to that unfurling egg and is like, <laughs> uh -huh. let me put my face in this. I guess right that's the most it. flattering way I could put it, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like this is better than future alien movies where people just like take their helmets off for funsies like at least he has his helmet on and like he's so it's like i feel like it's a little more for are you talking about prometheus and covenant oh yeah <laughs> oh, they explain it 
The yeah, ship, cre- yeah, the sure. ship creates its own atmosphere. We can take our helmets off so that everyone can see these high-paid actors talk instead of having them be shielded by glass. That's muscling so, all this. We'll get, well, then we'll there's, get to also, that the then there's one, yeah. also the whole thing of just like the they've decided because they want to make it like you know, secretive that the whole point of this is to actually get a xenomorph. So they like have mm-hmm. a whole crew full of people who are probably not equipped to deal with said thing when they find it. Well, that's the thing that, and again, uh, we'll get into this in the next episode. Um, but th- that's the distinction between this and all the other movies. Is this is explicitly what are referred to basically within the universe as space truckers? Like yeah, these are basically yeah. blue collar folks who are just on my just operating a towing vehicle. They're not scientifically trained, other than Ash. Um, mm-hmm. so they're pretty much just going, just kind of like ad-libbing and like. And Ash is an android, so it's and just Ash like. Ash is an android. <laughs> yeah. To, to, uh, yeah. to jump to that, yeah. Also, I'm glad they didn't remove their helmets because the scenes when they, um, are exploring the, mm. the terrain, the, the, uh, smoke that's coming, mm-hmm. or like the. I don't know, their breath that's coming out from the back of the helmets Mm -hmm. is visually so cool. You hear the breath and it's in sync with each of the um, little pipes of steam that are coming in the back of their helmets. Mm. You're like, this feels so real. First of all, I know that they're walking in like a real set and things are actually physical. So that's even creepier and really cool. But just having them fog up their helmets and see the steam coming from the Ooh, back is really cool. Which I saw another cool trivia thing. I don't I know if you have this written down. Go for okay, it, yeah. no, okay, so I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, uh, so the Who was, I guess, um, next to it testing out lasers for their show. So the lasers mm-hmm. that's in the ship is like from the Who. Oh my Wait, god, that's yeah. awesome. Which is so crazy. No which way. is also just like, think about how crazy it would be just to like walk through a set one day where you have Alien and the Who like at the same time doing shit. That sounds incredible. That's that awesome. Oh. Oh, actually, it's a different thing then. So uh, I had a note also about the helmets. The spacesuits worn by uh, Scarrett Hurt and uh, Veronica Cartwright, um, who plays Lambert, we'll cover her in a moment, um, were huge bulky items lined with nylon and had no outlets for uh, breath or condensation uh, as the actors and actress were working under hot studio lights and mm. conditions in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. They spent most of their time passing out. Damn. Whoa. So that oh, sweat, that was real. That was real. No wonder she was so stressed the whole movie. Oh, man. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh my God. There's like one scene with Ripley and like you see her fingers first. Mm. That's one of my favorite shots ever. She's so sweaty. And I'm like, yeah, I get like the whole ship's about to self explode, but also like, whoa, (laughs) that's a lot of sweat. (laughs) I adore that shot. It just Mm. says everything's going nuts. Just the fingers come up first and then it's like real hard focus right on them. And then it just goes a little bit further back as you see her poke her head up. Um, yeah, that seems amazing. Um, so other characters, uh, also include Lambert, as we were just talking about. She's the navigator of the Nostromo, uh, skilled navigator, but, uh, can be kind of quick to cave under duress a little bit. She annoyed the shit out of me. I know, she's so annoying. Yeah. Towards the end. I want to feel like more sympathy to her as a female character every time I watch this movie and I'm like, no, you still annoy me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But like, this is also like... Yes, this character exists in so many other movies mm-hmm. where it's sure. like uh, like a whimpering female and I'm yeah. always like, fuck, this sucks so bad. And so like, I wonder, is it like internalized misogyny is why I mm-hmm. don't like you or do you just fucking suck? Yeah. And I think like well, this when, is the one instance where it's like, you just suck. You well, just kind of suck. screaming at her to move, I know. you're just like, do it, move. Oh, like what? When they're looking for the, the monster, or, like the yeah, xenomorph yeah. at the end. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oof. Yeah. 
Yeah, not my favorite character. Yeah, she... I think she plays it really well, though. She does. She does yeah. a great job with that that archetype. I feel like that actress I've seen in other roles where she kind of does that just, like, stressed, cryy thing a lot. <laughs> sure. and I can't, like, figure out what I, else. I should have looked her up on, like, IMDb she or something. She did look very familiar. She does, yeah. And uh, the movie also features uh, Yafit Koto as Parker. Uh, he is the ship's chief engineer, a uh, very efficient engineer who is uh, self-interested but also quick to jump in when action is needed. Mm-hmm. Going back to the idea of like space truckers, if he's like, I'm not paid to do this. I'm paid to just go from here to there, and I want my right. bonuses. And, and let's, I love those. You, so it's yeah. So so much of it is just like, mm-hmm. well, real people talk about. It's not just like all space nonsense and mm-hmm. alien mumbo jumbo talk. It's just like yeah, talking about unions and bonuses. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, kind of like the the first movie I can remember that really capitalizes on like, or really makes a point to point out like the effects of like corporatizing space and like. Sp- interstellar mm-hmm. capitalism yeah and like the kind of in, internal caste systems that that creates uh the type of jobs those people are required to do mm-hmm. um it sheds a really interesting light on that which i think is why the nostromo looks the way it does as we'll get to shortly um that it's just kind of a beat up ship um but it's massive it's very big uh, i i know how big it is so we'll get to that <laughs> soon <laughs> um other characters uh are uh we have uh yeah two more uh, or three more, rather. There's uh, Brett, played by Harry Dean Stanton. He's the uh, acting engineer, uh, engineering technician under his friend Parker. Uh, he's a little aloof and somewhat detached, uh, and he handily makes a first victim for the adult xenomorph following mm-hmm. Kane's death. That's where Jonesy the cat watches, right? Jonesy yeah. the cat. Yeah. Who was so cute. Oh, my goodness. That was another thing, too. Did you hear what they had to do to make Joni's, like, re- Josie react? I have it right here. So, okay. yeah. Uh, aside from Harry Dean Stanton, we'll, we'll we'll maybe come back to him or something. But there's also Jones the cat. Uh, Jones the cat was played by four different cats. Whoa! Um, and it, actually, at one point, um, it looked like Sigourney Weaver was going to be cut from the project because they specifically had a cat written into the story, and it was important for certain plot devices and so on. So they were going to have to cast a new actor because she kept having these allergic reactions. Oh, and I they feel felt that. themselves like, oh no, she's allergic to cats. What are we going to do? It turns out what she was actually allergic to was the. Um, the sprayed-on effect that creates the uh, the illusion of sweat. Oh, oh. that's interesting. So that's why they, they cracked the lights that, up. <laughs> they were just like, oh, the cat's fine, and she's fine. This will be fine. Mm. Oh, that's good. Uh, but yeah, what they had to do uh, to get Jones the cat to react fearfully to the descending alien in the scene where, um, where Brett is killed, um, a German shepherd was placed <gasps> in front of him with a screen bet- dividing the two, so the cat couldn't see it at first. Uh, the screen was then suddenly m- removed to make Jones stop advancing and start hissing. Which, like, how badass is it that a cat doesn't give a fuck about a xenomorph, you know? It's just like, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I loved about um, jo- Jones, Jonesy, yeah. Jones, um, was that they had these complex radars to detect uh, changes in, like, temperature, you know, right. to be able to detect the alien when really the best indicator of when the alien was near <laughs> was the cat. Yeah. And so I thought that was such an effective way to be like, look at instinct and like mm. see like animal instinct to human instinct in, in stressful situations. You can have this advanced sure. technology. The cat just like knows something. The cat just like, all right, yeah. here's something yeah. behind you and you better yeah. fucking run. Because <laughs> like, it oh, shows so on my eyes right now. Yeah. Um, but I did feel bad for the cat at one point. We were talking about this earlier where like uh, uh, Ripley has to get the cat in the cat, like, 
kitty carrier. Oh, and she right. throws and she's the carrier around. And like, I'm pretty sure there was no cut in that scene. The cat goes in the carrier and then she's just, just like around. jostling it around as she's trying to run mm-hmm. through the ship. Like, when she gets into the don't. escape pod, she just fucking <laughs> throws it. I was just like, there's a cat in there. Cat's just like, Jesus, what's happening? I know. I'm like, no, I know cats are resilient and this is a stressful situation. Yeah. But, oh, they used four <laughs> of them. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> but, but that scene where Brett, where he dies, um, and it just like the camera zooming in on Jones's face. I was like, that cat doesn't give a shit, and no, I loved it so much. I thought that was so interesting that how the cat is just like staring at what's happening. Yeah, it's like the indicator of danger, but also the all-seeing eye, mm. like <laughs> sort of this yeah. omniscient like. Cat is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I think so. There are a lot of like. Obviously, this movie inspired a lot of other movies, and I think like we still see that even today. So, Captain Marvel, there's a cat in Captain Marvel named Goose. Goose, Goose is an orange cat that's just oh. there on the spaceship all the time. Turns out, Goose is a flurkin, which has like it's like an alien thing. It's an yeah. alien thing that can like eat stuff. What? But I was like, oh, is yeah. this where they got the inspiration for Goose? Wait, that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's like if Go- if like you know Jones somehow melded with a xenomorph a little bit, you uh-huh. know, yeah, flurkin. Wait, do do you think Jones is a secret alien? There's never any mention in Alien. First of all, was Jones cryo frozen or cryo? I think cryo was, yeah. At the end, you definitely see her stick the cat Jones in there. Jones goes right? in with Ripley yeah. into the. And in Aliens, um, when they open it, Jones is just Jones like chilling. Pops with out. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. But maybe I was Jones so isn't... concerned about Jones the whole yeah. movie. The whole movie. <laughs> yep. Poor little Jones. Well, I think it also was an effective technique to like build tension in a viewer who mm-hmm. sees this oh innocent animal like kind of this element of chaos just running around the sh- ship, and you're like, I hope the cat. The whole time you're like, I also hope the cat's gonna be okay, and the cat I ends know. up being one of the two survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really like creates the universe for you though, like the world in which they live in, and it made me like it, it's so terrified the whole time like so you know you have the cat the thing you have the acid thing you're like well there's gonna be a hole in the ship and then also the cat's gonna get out the cat's gonna get out <laughs> but, but also and that's not a kitty door and every time they used that flamethrower i was like you're using a flamethrower in a space station i just i couldn't they're also smoking cigarettes on the spaceship kn- too. yeah mm-hmm. yes constantly smoking and i'm like there had to be some sort of like well it was regulations the 70s, on the, so like, well not yeah. on set but like Although in a was, spaceship yeah, was it 21 22 actually True. Yeah. <laughs> they just assumed in the future we would still be chain smoking constantly. Yeah. So they didn't have the premonition of jewels. That's yet, true. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, two more characters, real quick, are um, Ash, um, the ship's acting science officer, attached to the crew manifest shortly before their departure from uh, Thetis, which is the before the start of the film. Um, he is willful and driven to advance the Wayland Corp directives until ultimately revealed to be. A Hyperdyne Systems Model 120-A-2 synthetic android tasked with ensuing the retrieval of and capture of a xenomorph at the expense of the surviving crew. The effects of the um, of the synthetic life in the Aliens movies are just amazing. With like the white milk for blood and the like, so unique. white oh. in, like surgical tube intestines. That, one of the grossest things mm-hmm. in R- that movie. Ridley yeah. Scott had to keep giving Ian Holmes some milk so he could like spill yes. <laughs> it out from between. I his was lips. wondering what it was. I thought yep. it might have been like partially Elmer's glue, like on his skin. And, I like, would rather mache. watch like a hundred chestburst scenes than watch like more of that like <laughs> milk shit. It was so gross. That was so definitely odd, more yeah. milk because it was viscous. But like not even. <laughs> mm. 
Mm. <laughs> Word of the day. Hell yeah. <laughs> Not even the milk, though, but just like what the body was made out of. Like, yeah, there's the those tubes. little like pod things. The... Yeah. Uh, a lot of it was pasta, apparently. Oh, mm. that's Oh, I just had pasta salad. <laughs> a yeah, little, well, little mm. bit with mm. No bow ties in that, though. And the reveal that... Um, that explains so much of his actions and like the tone that he presents in the movie um, as that comes to light with the big reveal that he is, in fact, an android. Um, that's one of my favorite scenes. We'll get back to that toward the end. Um, but that brings us to Ellen Ripley, um, Sigourney Weaver, who is... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. By the way, Ash was played by Ian Holm. You did a great job. Bilbo. Yeah, yes. Oh. I know him mostly as the priest from, um, oh from Fifth Element. Oh, I've never yeah. seen the Fifth Element. Bilbo Baggins. I've never seen either. Whenever Here, we get I'm just like, Bilbo, again. you motherfucker. What are you doing? <laughs> Such a Bilbo thing to do. He's great. Yeah. He played the running coach in Chariots of Fire. Aww. <laughs> he also plays the dad in Garden State tape. and has a terrible fake oh American my accent. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Yeah. Come on, son. You need to take your pills. <laughs> like, ugh. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, Ellen and Ripley, um... Sigourney Weaver, she is a warrant officer aboard the Nostromo and third in command. We know that she was born January 7th, 2092, at the Olympia Colony on Luna, uh, another planet. Um, she has one daughter, Amanda Ripley McLaren, um, who would have been 10 years old when Ripley first disappeared in the Nostromo disaster. Wow. Hmm. So Ripley's got a daughter. Huh. Did they say how long they, their voyage was? I don't think so. Like in I total, because like they had ten months <laughs> like to, to there get and back. back. Right. By the time disaster strikes, because mm-hmm. there's a mention. Oh well, we have this journey's going to take ten months. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I could probably find online how far uh, Thetis is from Earth, but I don't know offhand. But Sigourney Weaver, uh, holy smokes, what a performance! As we so discussed good. before, yeah. She's such a badass. Yeah, I like how, like, she deals with, like, people undermining her, too. Like, the fact mm-hmm. that she, like, confronts the different, like, male characters who mm-hmm. are, like, constantly doing that. Um, towards the end, when she's, like, trying to, like, go over details and, like, Parker's, like, kind of talking over her, she just, like, yells at him until he, like, stops. Shut up, Parker! Yep. It's, like, so... But, like, I was like, you know what? Like, yes. Like, you have been trying this whole time. Even, like, under her breath at the beginning, like, um, they're complaining about money, and she just has that line, like, you'll get what's coming to you, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, like, keep talking, and under her breath, she just says something like, oh, fuck you, or whatever. And, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, you must hate this shit, because you probably deal with it constantly. Seems like a rough job. Yeah. And I think at the end, she balances... Her performance balances so well, like a sense of strength and concentration and focus that it takes to really get through this situation mm-hmm. and survive. But also like you see her wince and like there oh, are yeah. moments where you, she looks like she, she might cry. Like, and so this she beautiful... does when she's starting to put the pins in to make it self-destruct. Yes. Yeah, so really it brings her to tears. And so there's just this beautiful balance of like, utter strength and mm-hmm. determination and you're like you are gonna fucking get through this but mm-hmm. also like conveying the sense of intent like intense disaster looming disaster that's happening mm-hmm. her her pa- like her own pain that she's going through yeah um and there's one of my favorite moments in this movie and any movie um is when she first comes upon um Parker and uh, Lambert having been slain and she realizes she's the last one on the ship, mm. but you, which is so good because like you hear the screams broadcast over the, um, yeah. mm-hmm. 
uh, over the intercom and like it slightly distorts them so it makes them even more frightening and disorienting. And when she finally gets there, she you see her kind of like walking toward the corridor and before we even get a look at what's happened, she just like approaches and stops and she like visibly shivers while making like a sound that's just like, Ugh. just like this like true like soul shudder. That you can hear and mm. feel. It's so good. Yeah. And the song she sings at the end, the My like, Lucky Star. You're my lucky star. Like, oh man, that was. Oh, apparently uh, the production had to buy the rights to that they song did. so she could sing it at the end. But I'm like, I couldn't imagine her not singing mm. that. Mm-hmm. Just like tapping into some sort of comfort, uh, maybe a childhood comfort mm-hmm. of just singing that song um, as she's like, confronting the alien which is also interesting in the sense that it's a song that would have i guess been written before 1979 and this movie's in 21 22 so it's a bit of an oldie at that point but (laughs) this is going to premiere but rewatching prometheus there's this point where idris elba like has a little accordion that's like from like steven stills like crosby stills and And i'm like dude this is like 2090 (laughs) i guess it's like 29 it's a little early but it's like it's it like belongs me, like, in being a museum. Like, I have the piano that Brahms played on. <laughs> it's like, nobody says that. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, maybe in 2090 they do. Uh, maybe. Oh, I just, changed. I just remembered this. So at um, Brave New World's comic shop in Old City, there's a giant xenomorph head that's, like, right in the front that you can buy, but it says, like, please do not touch. And when my sister was visiting, we, like, went there, and she was looking, and she goes... Tori, does it say please do not touch because it like might break or because it's gonna eat you? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we want to play it safe? And, and I was like, you know what, man? I who can say? <laughs> you can touch because you were asking the big question. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that's fair. I was like, the fact that you're just looking at the xenomorph and just considering it, I'm like, you're the best kid in the world. <laughs> Um, I do have one more character that I, I, I consider a character, um, well, other than the creature, which I suppose we'll get to as well, but, um, but I consider the ship to be very much a character as well, mm. the Nostromo. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you guys, uh, and please do, because I want to see how far, how long I can go before I'm stopped. Stop me when this has become too nerdy. So... <laughs> The USSCS Nostromo register number parenthetical 9 was a modified Lockmart CM88B Bison M-class star freighter uh, owned by the Whalen Utani Corporation. It operated as a tug connected to pull uh, loads similar to a tractor trailer rather than carrying loads like a traditional freighter. The ship's original Saturn J3000 engines were removed and replaced with two immensely powerful Rolls-Royce N66 cyclone thrust engines with bipolar vectoring for the midline lift function. Wait, Rolls-Royce <laughs> made spaceship engines? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> there's, there's like three more paragraphs of this, but yeah. I, wow. <laughs> but interestingly enough, the look of the ship, something we talked about before. Um, the ship is, is sort of like a, seemingly kind of a derelict ship. It's pretty beat up. It's pretty old and pretty outdated. Uh, there's plenty of reasons for that that are perfectly justifiable within the alien universe, such that, like, uh, you know, it's, again, it's space capitalism, so it's bottom line function of it just being a cheap ship to facilitate a mm. simple function. Um, doesn't get upgrades. It also makes sense it doesn't get upgrades because its journeys are upwards of years long. Yeah. So there could be advanced technology. It's not available on the ship. Um, and just the feel of the ship. It really like uh, it's in part because a lot of it was salvaged parts from um, U.S. military uh, crafts. Like uh, the sh- 
the spaceship uh, seats in like the front, um, uh, I guess the front bridge of the ship uh, were salvaged from fighter jets mm. um, and a lot of stuff like that. Like it's, it was kind of cobbled together by existing technologies. That command room that houses like Mother or whatever mm-hmm. though is like really <laughs> yeah. striking. When you see um, what's his name sitting down there um, early on in the Dallas. movie, well, yeah, when you see Dallas, like that's just like a really great shot that I love. Is just how crazy that room looks. Like it reminds me a little bit of like two thousand one. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. one in the beginning when the cryo doors open too, it just feels. It very, looks like, like a flower yeah. kind of right. blooming. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah, the textures of the mm. is like. Certainly the ship could be kind of a beat up model, but like visually, mm-hmm. though the textures of the buttons of the screens, I yeah. never thought about the yeah. lifting. I love that idea of the lifting mm-hmm. panels of the cryos, cryo bunks or whatever being like petals of a flower mm-hmm. and that control yeah. room, like the, the, well, the round ship is womb of really the- contrasting. Like you have these like really vivid white spaces and then you have mm-hmm. these like very dark and dingy spaces where like they're trying to like find the monster and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of interesting that they, that's done too. Like yeah. the wet rain room with the chains. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Wet rain room. I know I just think it's like a room with chains. Well, really. <laughs> it does it does say something about like it utilizing like water technology and something else. Mm. But um, I love I love it the, just as the ship as a character uh topic. I love that the opening minutes of the movie, there, there's no like human yeah. or humanoid mm-hmm. to be found. It really is just introducing viewers to the mm-hmm. ship. Um, and certainly maybe the production spent a lot of time building that set. They're like, all right, we're going to get every minute we can out of showcasing what we built. Mm-hmm. But I think it sets up just such a wonderful sense of space and getting to know the physical space as its own character, which I think is so cool. And was it like one long shot? Like, that's what it felt like. There's like a couple of panning shots that are pretty long, yeah. Yeah, I know they do a wow. few like single takes and things that mm-hmm. are pretty interesting in that. Because like they really built this, like yeah. it existed. They built it three times. They built uh, a small scale one, they built a mid sized one, and they built a large scale one that weighed like several tons. I wow. thought about that when they were like on the alien ship too, where I was like, "Wow, this is like so striking, and it looks huge." Mm-hmm. And. It looks distinctly different from the Nostromo yeah. in terms of design. That is in part because they were designed by two different production teams for mm-hmm. this movie. One was led by Roy Cobb or Ron Cobb, um, visual effects coordinator, who came up with the ideas for the uh, layout of the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have H.R. Geiger's team, yes. which uh, <laughs> which created the uh, the engineer ship. The yeah. alien and uh, most of what we see on uh, LV-426. Which that whole thing is so interesting, too, because, like, we almost didn't have Alien as we know it when you think about the fact that Geiger initially was drawing a lot of this stuff for the Dune movie that never got made. Right, Jodorowsky's yeah, a lot of it's a holdover. Dune. Yeah, so, like, I remember I, w- I watched the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, which sounded insane, and you see a ton of his, like, mock-ups, and all of it looks like Xenomorph yeah, stuff. And you're great. just like, if this movie actually got made, which it would have been an insane movie. It would have been crazy. Orson Welles and like Mick Jagger were supposed to be in it, like all of this stuff. But like we wouldn't have had like the the alien movie that we have right now. Not as we know it, no. Yeah. But the level of detail also with the engineer ship, like the the ribs, the Mm -hmm. bones, like the textures of the interior is it's very organic. It's like you've got sort of technology Mm -hmm. organic on the ship and then you've got like 
body yeah. organic bone. Yeah, I almost brought my. Um, the, I have a Geiger tarot deck, which I'm really Whoa. into. Oh my god! Um, but it's like all of his stuff is like industrial and like organic at the same time, which is so cool and, and extremely weird. phallic and sexualized. Oh my oh, god! Everything. Yo. Yeah. All, it's just a I mean, he's just like he's German, right? right? In the middle of that spaceship. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He I, he's just like this. Like it, when you hear his voice, it's like very weird too. If you ever hear him talk, but he's just this like kind of like small metal like German man. Yeah. He was referred to on set as Dracula because his corner of the production studio was full of bones and rotting things. Yeah. Ooh. Or is he, sw- that sounds is he right. Swiss or Belgian or something? Something. I forget. I, I watched a documentary on him too. He's very, he was a very interesting man. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Hell of an artist too. Yeah. That documentary on YouTube is like, ha- like has like has interviews with him, and then it'll pan out, and his cat's like sitting right there, and he's like stroking. He kind of he's looks like, like an evil. He looks like an evil villain. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's great. so fitting. Um, and um, oh, I'm sorry, Sam. You you mentioned the size of the uh, Nostromo. I've got that here. Uh, um, that is uh, a ship that itself measures about uh. 1,095 feet by 705 feet. I need baseball fields. I can only conceptualize things <laughs> in baseball fields. By contrast, the ore refinery that it was towing was uh, 6,322 feet by 4,124 oh, feet. Well, there you go. I, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. Oh, so the wet chain rain room is the refinery. I don't know that they ever go into the refinery. I'm not oh. sure. Because maybe, maybe that's why that there be. is such a contrast between the, like, white, sort of, sort of sterile mm. look of the ship and then that, like, chain look. The, the, the wet room, wet chain room. Or yeah, and it's like, the, it's like the xenomorph room. is drawn to those spaces, too, because mm-hmm. you don't really see, like, full-grown xenomorph in any of those, like, vivid white spaces. Yeah, not really. Just a little guy. Yeah. Just a little guy. Yeah, just mm. the, hello, my baby. That one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, Yes. <laughs> Those two things are, like, ingrained in my brain where I just, like, will never not think about that, you know? This is, of course, a reference to space. the scene toward the end of Spaceballs where it uh, replicates the chestburster sequence, which is uh, good on them. They actually got John Hurt to do it. Uh, it's Yeah, that's so funny. Just the delivery of his line, he does it so well. Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> it, was, it was the only thing I knew about Alien going into this just that scene from Spaceballs. <laughs> which, like, good on you, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah. the weird thing is, like, I haven't even seen Spaceballs all the way through. We literally oh, put great. it on once, and it was maybe for about 15 minutes, and that scene happened, and I was like, this is peak comedy. I know, like, I often <laughs> say that I don't like comedies, but I was like, I'm sold on this movie because, I mean, Mel Brooks, holy God. He's got, yeah, he's oh, got it. I love Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I mean, unless anybody has anything else to add about the characters, um, I guess we'll move on to production notes. Wait, Mother. Mother, mother's yeah, mother a character. Is, uh, is in a sense a character that is the ship's. Uh, I mean, mother's like God. You know, it's not really a part of anything. It's just there. It's, it's similar to like Hal, except not as malicious. I guess you have to type questions into it. Yeah. <laughs> Although Ripley at one point yells like, like, uh, you mother, bitch. you bitch. <laughs> yeah. It's like some family tension going on on this spaceship. <laughs> I love I love all of those things where it was like they just believed that you would type in questions and a computer would answer you. Like that's a big part of the thing too where they're just mm-hmm. like, yeah. "Eh, what are our chances?" and the computer's like, "Oh, of course I know that information." And you're like, "This is what you thought the future was going to be like?" This computer well, this the spaceship is equipped with Google. Yeah, <laughs> okay. courage the yeah. dog. Yeah, he's I, always talking to the computer. I thought that was one of the best like 
prescient <laughs> elements of the ship. It was essentially like search engines, mm-hmm. but like I the mean, search engine was this, as Sam said, this all see all knowing mother system that yeah. was like which is m-u-t-m-u-dash-t-h-dash-e-r uh, oh i don't know offhand what that stands for i do know though that it is a uh yeah. 182 model 2.1 terabyte a- ai mainframe well you're saying it's m-u-t m-u-t-h oh i'm sorry m-u-t-h-u-r muthur muthur yeah muthur that's like lex muthur yeah but yeah, Mother is uh, a really interesting, uh, a really interesting kind of insight into the Whalen Corp's influence in this story. In terms of it, chiefly being about, like, it explicitly says that the primary concern and objective is to return the captured specimen to Whalen Corp at the ex- established expense of the remaining crew, mm. and that all other considerations are secondary. What a great phrase. And then when Ash all repeats other considerations back, are secondary because because Ripley's like why like after Ash has just been like he's, oh, he's just yeah. ahead and he's like and all he can repeat is just like all other you know concerns are secondary like just like a, such a well and he was like I thought it was ex- I thought you saw it like explained perfectly or something mm-hmm. is his answer and well, it's you just saw like, it. yeah it's just like such a creepy phrasing but it's wonderful he's very so good at being yeah, creepy mechanical. the whole movie the whole yeah movie. it's great but it was, when he appears in that like section with mother I was like Ugh. I mean that was he's so nasty he's a person I was paying attention to a lot when I was watching this because yeah, almost immediately you're like oh There's you're something wrong. doing something the weird time. here yeah. he's, the, he's the one that lets them in despite it being uh, a violation of the uh Science division's protocol, mm-hmm. of which he's the science officer. Yeah, um, it goes a long way to explaining why uh, when Yafet Kodo, after the chest bursting sequence, is about to stab it, he demands, "Don't touch it." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's just protecting it the whole time. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just after the specimen. Mm-hmm. And people will say things to him, and then it'll stay on his face, and he'll like look up, like slightly up or mm-hmm. off, and you'll be like, "Something's going." He's fantastic in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's wonderful. I mean, I think Ridley Scott is just so great at character moments. Mm. Just, like, working with people and, like, very much like a um, getting actors to do his specific vision for better or for Mm. worse. And I think when it works and he's right on the money with his choices, it, you know, pays huge Mm. dividends. I also think Ripley Scott allowed some of the act. I don't know, uh, Ripley. (laughs) Ridley Scott allowed... uh, I'm surprised that hasn't happened already. (laughs) I'm going to model this captain character after me <laughs> i'm courageous and strong and have vision um i think he let uh, some of the characters ad lib some of the scenes where they're uh, mm-hmm. sitting around like dinner breakfast or things like that when it was sort of nice mundane moments on the ship where mm-hmm. they're kind of cracking jokes and eating their cereal in like <laughs> tupperware mm-hmm. or space bowls space, space yeah, bowls. all their weird yes. space food space bowl. <laughs> the sequel to space balls is just space, space balls, space balls. <laughs> was space balls the working was that the working title for this movie <laughs> yes no that was space uh, that was bowls. star space beast or star, star beast, beast. star and beast balls at one point it also had a working title of they bite <laughs> which like if it were applied to a different movie that'd be a pretty good title they, bite. See that. they live right yeah, yeah. And that was after it but yeah they bit, oh, oh they bite <laughs> they bite <laughs> Uh, you know all you need to know. <laughs> I guess they do. I mean, Which I, guess, they I don't. guess they do. I mean, well, they I guess do. The, when he when they're doing the like this thing, I guess that's biting, right? The, the, I didn't thing. see one bite. The little mouth movie. coming out of the big mouth is right, what we're. Right, right, yeah, right. I, was, I don't know how to explain it. I can just do the the motion. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, like a like a fucking snake or a cobra. It's like a goldfish. Yeah. That's what I think of. Like. <laughs> 
a really mean goldfish. Hey, man. <laughs> With acid for blood. Yes. Um, great. So, I mean, some production notes that I have real quick here. Um, I have a note here about the, uh, the original cut of the movie. Um, before it was edited down was three hours and ten minutes. I saw that, which that would have been insane. I see it. I'd yeah, watch it. I'd watch it too. It probably would have been it would have lost me at some point, but I'd watch it. Yeah. I mean apparently there was a lot of gore they cut out. Yeah, it almost got an X rating. Yeah. Are, is Ooh. there like a director's cut that includes a lot of those scenes? Well, there that's another note here is there, Ridley Scott does have a director cut, but it actually runs almost the exact same time as the theatrical cut, but with added and removed sequences, including uh, Dallas and Brett's cocoon sequence. So this is a bit of a tell as to whether or not which one we all watched. Um, did you guys see the cut that features um, Dallas being found by Ripley at the end? Yeah, with no. the flamethrower, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's no. what I watched. No? So that's the director's cut. That features Which a scene this that... Is my DV- yeah, this is the DVD I brought yeah. that I had watched it on. Now, I'm glad yeah. that scene's cut. What happens basically mm-hmm. is, uh, for those who haven't seen this cut, um, as she's uh, trying to uh, trying to initiate the self-destruct sequence through Mother uh, to destroy the ship while she assumes the xenomorph is trapped on board um, before she makes her way to the escape shuttle, as she's going through and she's, like, preparing for that self-destruct sequence, she comes across a room that has been, like, essentially covered in slime and is just, like, really, like, gross. Um, mm. and has, like, all sorts of, like, organic growth on it. Tra- trapped and nestled within that organic growth is, uh, Dallas and Brett. Brett is dead, uh, but is still nestled and cocooned in this sort of organic matter, as is Dallas. Dallas is actually conscious enough to respond, but the only thing that he has the strength to say is, kill me, kill me. Oh. Um, and then she uh, sets Brett's corpse and Dallas uh, both cocooned to light. With the oh, that's interesting. I guess that makes sense, too, because I don't think I've ever seen that scene, but they make it a point of saying when Dallas is killed find that him, they couldn't find, find anything. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that, too, because mm-hmm. then you do see the, the last two bodies, yeah. and you're like, oh, nasty. Which also that scene when he turns around and just sees the yeah. arms coming at him. Oh, my God. So good. I, scares me every, every single time. I've seen it hundred, like 20 times. times. Yeah. Scares me I every didn't time. think it was that scary. Was I just funny. Saw an, I saw an alien be like, hi, love me. I know. Hey. Give me a hug. It does have that vibe, but I laugh. I did too. I, I just love thinking that it's spaceballs world. <laughs> I just love thinking about that it's just a man. I I love when it's just like when monster creatures are just people in giant rubber suits. Of just like it's not this computer nonsense. It's just sure, like personal. Sure. And it's like you know I just how many love. Godzilla movies I've watched where it's just dudes in suits. I gotta watch more. I gotta watch yeah. more. Fucking beautiful. So that's interesting. The cuckoo scene was in the. Yeah, because in Aliens, in Aliens, and I just watched Aliens for the first time yesterday, they make a huge deal about finding people in the cocoons and that they hide in them. So Mm. it's interesting that that was cut from the theatrical release Mm. because it plays a pretty big part in the sequel. Mm. I'm glad it was. I think it's better that Dallas is just gone um, and that he's just dead, especially because of how how tense that buildup is. Um, yeah, it's just kind of creepy. Like it is, it is it admittedly funny when the alien does kind of like pop out the way that it does. Yeah. But everything leading <laughs> up to that is like cinematically <laughs> some of the tensest <laughs> shit I've ever seen. Yeah, like when, when you just see the dot and, and everything. And this is where Lambert's character is key because she's communicating with him and is freaking out. She's like, get out of there, get out of there. And yeah. like you can see him growing more apprehensive and frightened with mm-hmm. this task of exploring the air ducts. Yeah. So that sequence is amazing. Yeah, I really love that part. So good. A um, few more production notes before we tackle some of our favorite scenes is that um, uh, I have a big one here on the uh, the infamous chestburster sequence. Um, that was filmed in one take with four mm. cameras. 
John Hurt's head, shoulders, and arms came through a hole in the uh, mess hall table uh, atop a mechanical torso. Um, due to the time-consuming um, makeup process and compositing, uh, Hurt requested and was given wine and cigarettes while he waited. <laughs> um, Fair. When they went to shoot it, the rest of the cast was unaware that the effects team had used so much uh, blood and actual, like, harvested organs, like real organs mm. from other animals. Um, so their reactions to the sequence were genuine, so much that Yafet Koto returned home from the day shoot and reportedly locked himself in his room and refused to speak to anyone for the rest of the day. Same. It's in, speaking Fair, of also <laughs> real org or like real shit. So apparently, oh, the, uh, the face hugger eggs. Uh, were made of cow's stomach and sheep intestine. I have that here too, yes. And the face hugger, when they're starting to, after they pull it off and are like dissect, dissecting it, mm -hmm. it was made of like oysters, clams, mm, sturgeon, yeah, and kidney way. on the menu. Uh, mm. Shellfish, four oysters, and a sheep kidney, yeah. Mm. Gross. Additionally, the inside of the alien eggs, uh, as seen by Kane, uh, was composed of real organic material. Ridley Scott used cattle hearts and stomachs. Uh, and actually, uh, his own hands were the, uh, inside of it when, uh, it's kind of like pulsing. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, so that was him doing I that. I like that. Um, additionally, uh, Ridley Scott did all of the handheld camera work himself. Um, and in the wide shot of the space jockey prop, um, that being the engineer that they discover aboard the ship, uh, Ridley Scott used his two sons to make the prop seem bigger. <laughs> what? Wait, say that again. <laughs> so when they when they come onto the uh, the space jockey, the uh, the large set, uh, they they chose it as like the, they pitched it to the the net or the studio as like this is our Cecil B. DeMille shot. This is when you know you're not just watching like a B horror movie. Mm. This is an actual production of merit and of artistic integrity. Um, they insisted that they needed to build this other set that would be used only for one t one scene in the movie, um, which was a giant set. The uh, space jockey, I believe, was like twenty something feet high. Um, and when they go in to investigate it, initially when uh, you see um, Kane, Lambert, and um, Dallas approaching it, um, it was kids, like um, Ridley Scott's own children and another child, wearing the spacesuits so, so as to heighten the illusion oh, when that they it was that much bigger than it was. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, and make it look cavernous and right. like giant. So yeah. it's basically three kids in a trench coat? <laughs> no, in there's well, in there. It's three kids in separate Oh, my spaces, God, it's yeah. uh, a... Uh, a Adult, uh, whatever, forget it. Um, <laughs> Vincent Adultman. Vincent Adultman, yeah. Yes! <laughs> Three kids in a I'm trench so coat. I'm so happy you remembered his Very name. Nice. Yeah, I, there you go. I was yeah. like, all right, the Joe's lost. Oh, wait, I remember. I was trying to say Vincent Adultman, <laughs> but I couldn't think of it, so I just said. So, I mean, those are the production notes I found. I found, I mean, pages and pages of other stuff that's all mm. really good. I would recommend checking out IMDb. They have hundreds of facts on it. Um, well, I feel like there was an important fact that's very related to you as to one of the major movies that inspired this, which I was surprised by. Oh, yeah. I saw that, too. I forgot to bring that up. Here. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, the film was inspired, uh, you know, aesthetically and uh, in terms of, like, uh, marketing, a sci uh, like a late 1970s sci-fi film by Star Wars and its success uh, was built on the backs of some other films as well. But specifically, as far as Ridley Scott's attention to it being a sci-fi horror film, uh, he cites the tenacity and intensity of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a huge inspiration. No way. Mm. Pretty cool. Which totally makes sense. Like, the last 15 minutes of this movie are shatteringly tense. Yeah. Especially when Ripley's alone, and it's just mm -hmm. so much sensory overload. It's I mean, nothing's really happening. She's mm -hmm. just going through the ship. 
but all the lights are blaring. There are sirens. There are strobes everywhere. The smoke everywhere. Yeah. The ship is about to explode, and you know that. Because the movie goes are being pretty quiet to, like, just batch it towards the end. Crazy. Well, now she's trying to put the spacesuit on quietly to, like, not wake up the xenomorph. Uh, And and she's, like, freaking out. Oh, yeah. That's what she's saying the song, right? So tense. Yeah, yeah. At the end there. Yeah, and that's a really good production note, too, that it was, it was, it's moments of horror, um, while it reached more into, like, the sci-fi realm, uh, the Star Wars for the Mm sci-fi aspects of the film, it definitely drove home the kind of maddening intensity of, like, the latter half of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And someone referred to it as Jaws in Space in one yeah, of, like, the yeah. screeners, which was funny to me, because you also don't see... I think the one of the other things I saw on IMDb was, I think it's, like, a total of four minutes that the adult xenomorph is actually oh, on yeah, the screen you in that movie. See it. So it's, like, that's, like, pretty great. Like, whenever they can, like, pull stuff like that off, it's, like, very impressive. Yeah. And it's also, I've heard it called, like, a haunted house movie in space, mm. which is, like... I mean, it makes perfect sense because it is such a claustrophobic atmosphere that, like, they can't leave for some reason, Mm -hmm. which in this case is because it's space. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because (laughs) space. Not just, like, like, for some reason a door won't open. Like, okay. Right, right. I mean, it's it's like try to imagine yourself locked in a house outside of which is the vacuum of space. And you're being hunted by uh, something that you cannot kill but need to get rid of through the air vents. Yeah. That's basically this movie. And that's why it is... To this day, I think it's one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen, and it still scares me every time I see it. And it builds tension really well, too. I'm thinking of of a scene as John Hurt is on the operating table, and they realize that the face hugger has disappeared. Mm -hmm. They're like, where did it go? We cannot Uh, find it. And there's a specific shot that looks like it's taken from the ground, like from on the ground looking up. And it's this shot of the room and you see characters coming in and out of the frame trying to look for the face hugger, but right in the middle is John Hurt's body. And you're kind of like, is this the moment? when is it going to come out? When is it going to come out? But nothing, but it like cuts. And then there's another, like another yeah. new scene in which you see the tail of the face hugger. And then, then you see it. And it's like these great, like false start or like kind of like setups that you think are going to result in some like burst of something or something popping out end up not ha- like your, your expectation is undercut, but then something else freaky ends up happening. Mm. And it's not until he's eating his dinner that you get the... Yeah, the reveal. The mm-hmm. And that sequence burster. also has no no score. So it's just mm. the three of them just like silently eating. walking Ugh. around a room trying to yeah. find this thing without like the application of like expected tension. Oh, he's slurping noodles, which is like well, the he perfect takes so food many. to eat. Yeah, and no, and you're he like, does. don't do it, don't do don't it. Don't overeat. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe that's why it burst out. Didn't like noodles. I just love the noodle. It's like you know that there's something (laughs) fucking noodly about to come out of his stomach, and he's. I've never heard it referred to as noodly. Oh, and all he wanted was to eat good food, and he never got to eat good food. Oh, he was so excited about that. Those are his last words. Yeah, I know. That's Uh. what a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I guess. uh, I guess why don't we go around the room um, does anybody have any favorite scenes or sequences anything that really stands out that's memorable that that kind of sticks with you I love when um, uh, Ash the android just gets like beat the fuck up 
Oh, that sequence. Um, that that was my, that's my favorite too. <laughs> and then you just like see all of the like it's just a total game changer in the film. And then um, I just re- I just watched uh, Poltergeist, the original one, for the first time. Oh, so and the good. scene where one of the guys is like pulling his face off that oh, up over the sink, is, over and his the face sink. comes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't look in mirrors for like oh, when I see that. It, it reminded yeah. me oh. so like the when Ash and they switch between Ian Holmes' head and like just the, the prop head, mm-hmm. um, which which was exactly the. It, the fe- like features and size of Ian Holmes' head, but it shrunk because it was uh, partly rawhide, oh. which is why it looks so awkward in that cut. And it's like a tremendously awkward cut in an otherwise perfect film. But I I don't mind it nah. really. It's nah. fine. Go for the practical, yeah. Even if it's a little janky, but and just like him of like the milk oozing out of his mouth and just like. I uh, for whatever reason like just Ash that reveal in that moment of just like really just propping his head on the table mm-hmm. and just him um, freaking out right beforehand where he's right. like he's moving in these really spastic ways and like making this high pitched sound and starting to spit up this white fluid and at that point you're just like yeah you don't the know that spinning he's... motion he's doing is yeah. so insane he's like, what the fuck why is he freaking out like this he's just yeah. been hit in the head but like he's not acting human and then finally we get the reveal with the uh, yeah uh, was it a fire extinguisher right. to the head and it knocks his head loose and. The robotic motions, just like, oh, my God. it's also overwhelming. It's so much. Yeah. What I realized for the first time while watching this is that um, Ripley, I forget exactly why, her nose starts bleeding. Yeah. So, yes, wait, so she, why is that? That's before the assault, which well, I always thought well, was so, odd. Well, so she touches her, no, she touches the blood on her nose and looks at it. Then the scene happens, and then you see the same thing. You see, like, the white milk coming out of Ian Holmes' mouth. Or you and start so, to see it dripping down his forehead, or dripping too. Down his forehead. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just, so it's like, that's such a smart way to be like, hey, human red blood. And then it's like, wait, why I is he? I never thought right, about that. Right, so it's just like right. such a great little moment of setup. Mm. Yeah. So I guess it, the nosebleed almost is incidental just because it explains and advances that Yeah, concept. it gives you that, like, contrast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, you know, I think about this a lot, but I... And he, it still freaks me out when I watch the movie is at the end when she's just hanging out like in the, the escape pod mm-hmm. and you just see the fucking xenomorph move like out of like, the, out, the pipes <laughs> and then you're just like oh fuck and then you realize she's just like sleeping or whatever and the way it's like curled up and kind of crouched and everything is super insane looking. They had, they had to build the set around the actor to do that. Yeah. Whoa. To um, the point that when, when they finally try to do the, uh, the escape shot when it falls out they yeah. actually rip the tail off. Oh shit, that's insane. But yeah, like I it's a it's a scene that's interesting now that I watch it when I'm older and I love horror movies where I'm like, this is going on for too long. It's obvious something is gonna happen, <laughs> yeah. you know? But like yeah. at the time you're like, okay, like this is kind of weird, like seeing it when I was younger and then that happening, you're just like, oh fuck. Like that is absolutely horrifying. Cause then she's even in like a more confined space with yep. this crazy thing. And she's finally like it's like she's removing her clothes. Like she's trying yeah. to get comfortable. She's more vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, fuck. And even, and even then with like she's wearing all white, like a white underwear, white tank top. She goes to put on the suit in the corner and like that's the only real area that has like light in it too. Like there's mm-hmm. such interesting contrast that I've also like never noticed until like watching it this that's time around. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, other scene that comes to mind is just the use of uh, sort of found footage effects or not found. No, it's not found footage. That's the wrong term, but from footage a, from, that's actually footage from, from the camera planetary. and from mm-hmm. like the cameras on the suits, um, yeah. I think are really, really intense. And I wonder by 1979, how often like 
that effect was used. Um, to, no GoPros and to build. Yeah, certainly, it's, right. it's giving me a GoPro effect. But it, you know, it's now been used so much. But I really loved how it, uh, yeah, creates a sense of foreboding and, and uncertainty about what the uh, group is about to find mm. when they're exploring the site. Um, I watched a movie that was all a found footage space movie that I'm forgetting the name right now, but um, it, it was it it's a great way to kind of like especially in space and unknown territory to build to build uh, like a scary build up a scary scene. So those are some of my favorite. Um, yeah, some of those shots are some of my favorite. And a lot of that was uh, um, Ridley Scott himself uh, trudging through the uh, the fake set that they built with a, a handheld camera, but like a, a home video camera. That's cool. So, Ray, yeah. him doing additional shots that are yeah. like, I'm going to use shitty technology and make it look like these are the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. original feeds from that the ship is getting from the people exploring the, the planet. Sam is a first-time viewer. Any real? Yeah, so I have two scenes that sort of come at the end. One is when Ripley is going into the escape pod, and she's, like, being very careful, and she's looking around, and then you think she's in the clear. She's got, like, Jones with her, and then she, like, looks in the corner, and, like, there's a xenomorph, and she, like, like falls down the wall in, like, such a weird oh way. Oh, my God, that's one of my favorite images. The, mm-hmm. That look on her face is, like, a Shelley Duvall shining face. Like, it's really expressive. Yeah, and you're just yeah, like, like I'm fucked. Yeah. I know you can it's feel true it. dread. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can yeah. feel it. And I also really like um, when she's in the escape pod. She's escaped, and um, you know she knows the xenomorph is in there, and so she's thinking about ways to mm-hmm. get rid of it. And so she puts on the suit, but then she also seatbelts herself inside. So like right. she, she's putting on the suit, and I'm like, oh okay, like are they gonna like fight in space? Like what the hell's gonna happen? <laughs> and then she puts the seatbelt on, and I was like, oh, bitch, I know what you're doing. <laughs> And it's so great because, you know, again, like so many other movies have referenced this. And so obviously Avengers is really on our minds or on my mind specifically. And in um, Infinity War, when they're on like the the. I the can't. donut ship. Yeah, the donut ship. The donut ship. And Spider-Man's like, you know that really old movie? And it's the thing from Alien. So, like, they blow a hole in the uh, oh, wall. Yeah. And, oh, wait, like, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They blow a hole in the Aww. wall, and so yep, out goes nice the monster. Reference. But also, um, Spider-Man's like, you know, um, if something put like if something comes here and tries to put their babies in me, like, I'm out. I'm running. And oh, then, shit. Uh-huh. And That's so awesome. they reference it so much. Maybe and I'll I'm, see it. <laughs> and it's on I, Netflix. And just I for knew, that. <laughs> yeah, just for that. And like I, I knew that they were referencing like an alien movie. I didn't know it was alien. So mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, they use the same identical shot of the alien queen being shot out when Ebony Maul like has his hands like this. It's like the same exact shot of when the alien queen gets shot out of the Oh shit. It's the you're same right. ex- it's the same exact Yeah, you're right. Wow. Mm. Go Russo Brothers. Hmm. Boom. Yeah, I actually do know that sequence. That's pretty crazy. Huh. They're oh, watching wow. Aliens last night. I was like, oh, I just watched Infinity War the other day. Yeah, no, <laughs> That's I, where this is I, from. I, and now that it's reminding me, I've seen like a little bit of that clip, and that is actually really huh. similar. Um, for me, it's tough. All of this is my favorite scene. It's There's nothing I would <laughs> cut from or add to this movie. Um, I think we talked about some of them. Like, uh, Connor, as you discussed, like the Ash reveal, I think it's almost more shocking than the chestburster sequence. Like, I remember that sticking with me more than the chestburster thing when I first saw it. Um, 
Because, like, you know you can't trust the chestburster, but a thing that you think is right. another character, you're like, wait. It's like, this isn't even total... a character. This is just a thing that wants us dead. That's, like, yeah. even worse of a, yeah. or more interesting of a reveal. So it's pretty wild. Um, also, uh, Sam, what you just touched on, that one specific shot of, uh, of Sigourney Weaver as Ripley just sort of, like, cowering down and going away from it um, chills me every time. Uh, as we mentioned before, that sequence where um, she's uh, initiated the self-destruct and is returning to the shuttle, and we see her hand just come up and the fingers and that extreme close-up. Something about that I really adore. And also, as I mentioned before, the, um, the sequence when she finds Parker and uh, Lambert dead and just sort of expresses it through that, like, shiver and moan, which is, like, she doesn't scream. It's not a big freak-out. It's just, like, this, like, at-your-core dread mm. that's expressed that's really really well expressed and also leading up to that when we first uh see the room that they're in and they're trying to frantically uh get these canisters and um we see lambert on the far wall and is literally vignetted in a spotlight in like a circular spotlight because of the shape of like the room and the ship uh and then we see the alien shadow descend into it mm-hmm. um just chilling material i think this movie is very cold um, very unsympathetic, but I think that's really what draws me to it as a horror film is that at no point is there really much heart. It's just dire straits the whole time. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I really adore this movie. I was really, really glad to have shared it with all of you guys and really glad we could make the time to talk about it. We're going to continue talking about it in a way Woo-hoo. next week. Um, we're going to be diving into a, uh, a, a just sort of franchise review of uh, the films that this movie spawned. Um, we're going to be going through the, uh, the lexicon of the uh, alien chronology, and um, we'll, we'll join you then. Uh, I suppose before we go, do we have uh, anything we would like to plug? I know. Um, <laughs> Everyone turns to Tori. Uh, so horror night that I do, chill and kill. Um, it's going to be the second week in June, uh, which is the ninth. Um, I think I'm doing Night of the Creeps because I really love that movie. It's a, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then also my uh, first piece of um, in my Cronenberg series on Cinema Seventy Six just got posted uh, this week or last week um, on The Brood, uh, which is the first movie that I did. So um, that should be, I think, every two weeks. I think the next one I'm writing is Shivers. So uh, check out Cinema 76 and read my stuff and some of the other cool stuff that's on there. Yeah. Yeah. Check out a, a blog website called Lenses. Friend Luke writes, uh, creates it and writes awesome reviews. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, does great uh, reviews of movies and great insights and interviews. Check it out. Yeah, for sure. Alyssa Art's working on some new stuff on Facebook page. Alyssa Fantastic Arts. artist. And also follow us on Instagram, the most on Facebook, the most and Twitter at Butter With That One. Everything else is at Butter With That. We haven't gotten an email. Chris. I've been crying myself to sleep every night. Oh. Send us one. <laughs> Please. I need a good night's sleep. Wow. <laughs> so again, thanks as always, everybody. I'm going to leave you with uh, the final words of the film as uh, come to us from our lead character, Ripley, to lead us into next week. And that is... Final report, the commercial starship Nostromo. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew, Kane, Lambert, Parker, Brett, Ash, and Captain Dallas, are dead. The cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach for the frontier within six weeks. With a little bit of luck, they will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off. Yeah.